Let's turn now in our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. You can find it in this, bu- in this blue pew Bible. It's going to be on page 795. 795, and we're going to look at the first seven verses of Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace, grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So one time a a philosopher wrote that in posing two opposing ideas, a whole new idea is created. This tool is the root of all successful stories. Hmm. When you put two things that you don't think belong, when you put them together, you get a new story. You get a new idea. You actually get... Tonight we could say that you actually get the key to the universe and the key to unlocking what we talked about in the catechism. This idea that God is... Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. How can that be true? I mean, how can that... We believe it by faith, right? Because he's not 50% God and 50% man. He's fully God and fully man come in the flesh. And we are, by looking at God's word, we are going to explore this idea and what it means for us, you know, tonight. Oh, thank you. So a, uh, a couple of... Some folks, that we, some folks that we knew in New York, they have quite an amazing story. And they were actually on a Christian radio recently telling their marriage story because they, uh, they wrote a book about, about marriage. And when I was listening to the radio show, they were talking about how incompatible they are. You know, just on the surface. Imposing two opposing ideas... A whole new idea is created. So one of them is an absolute sports fanatic. I mean, he has to have a television in every room in the house so that he can watch these different games. And his wife has zero interest in sports at all. Kind of like that thing that we saw today of, you know, in the Super Bowl, how many baskets are they making? You know, or what, you know, whatever it was. Some people, some people care a lot about 
the Super Bowl, and they're not here tonight. So that's kind of what they're like. He's watching the game, and she's probably at church. In posing, you know, and they have lots of other differences too. One of them likes to go out. One of them likes to stay in. One of them's an extrovert. One of them's an introvert. And you actually find that a lot with, with couples. Opposites attract. They're drawn to each other. And then something new is created. And that is, that's what's happened in Christianity. Uh, and, you know, that's why what, what Hegel said is true in Creating these things, a new story is told. Because even as Pastor Chad alluded to in, in his prayer, God is the storyteller. God's the greatest storyteller ever. And he knows the beginning and the middle and the end. And so could it be, could it be that God, the creator, the one who made all the galaxies, the one who's all-powerful, the one who's omnipresent, the one that's existed forever, could it be that what we talk about at Christmas is true? That he would come down to earth in the form of a little helpless baby. That he would come and be born in Bethlehem. That he would have to be cared for and watched over by his mother and father that he would have to grow up the God of the universe in flesh, come to this earth. That's the story. And it's true. It's true because that is what we need, as the catechism teaches. That's what we need. We needed somebody who's powerful enough to be God, to be the creator, and yet we need someone that's fully in the flesh, that knows what it's like to be human, that lives this obedient life that we can't live. That's what it takes to rescue real, frail human beings, <laughs> you know, like you and me. A God that's, a God that's powerful enough to, to conquer sin and yet a human being that, that we can identify with. You know, he, he identifies with us. He came to earth. He became a human being. But then we can identify with him. Because he knows what it's like to, to be human. So I want to just use the rest of the time tonight to talk about how Jesus is very God and very man. You know, true God and true man. Um, in Romans 1, verse 4, it says, And who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So in the very beginning of this letter, this letter that has proven to be one of the most significant documents in you know, Western history, one of the most significant letters that's been written the last 2,000 years, a letter that truly changed human history like at least three times <laughs> in huge, huge uh, ways, starts with, starts with Jesus. Starts with this idea that he was, that he was the grandson, the ancestor of, uh, you know, or the, 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 the grandson of David. <laughs> you know, he was a descendant of David. 
and yet he was also the, the Son of God. And he, he, he was born in the flesh, and, you know, from David, and yet he conquered death that only, only God can conquer. He did all these things while he was here that, that only God could have done. And so you see, he was God, and he was completely human also. So let's think about how that, how that affects us, like on a day-to-day basis. If you don't have a God that's fully powerful, that's completely in control, that's sovereign, how does that affect your life? Well, you can have kind of a, a weak view of, of sin. And you can think, well, it doesn't really matter you know, what I do. It doesn't matter what ethics I have. It doesn't matter that much what I do. This, is, this idea of having you know, uh, a God that isn't fully powerful, it's, it's kind of parodied in books and in movies and that sort of thing. There was a movie like 20 years ago called, um, called Dogma. And it, it presented the idea of the buddy Christ. You know, Christ that's just your best friend, and he never challenges you or contradicts you. He, he never disagrees with anything he do. That just, you know, Jesus just, you know, just baptize everything you do, and it's, and it's fine. And yet, even in that movie, you just realize that, that that kind of a God never changed anybody. That kind of a God never transformed anybody. It's uh, like one theologian said, a God without wrath brought people without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministry of Christ without a cross. So that's kind of everything. If you have a weak Jesus, if you have a, a, a Jesus that's not fully God, you don't even need the cross anymore. And you, you lower the, the, the standard to something that you can earn. And that's just, that's just works righteousness. You know, if God's not that holy, well then we can, we can live up to him. And we, we start to think that God, you know, God owes us something because we're doing all these good things. But that's not the God that's presented in the Bible. That's not the, the Messiah that is written about. That's not the, the Christ that Jesus is talking about, that, that Paul's talking about here, Jesus he is very God. He's almighty God, and yet he's, he's come in the flesh. And yet he's also very, very man. You know, he was an earthly life. He was a descendant of David. Uh, Pastor Kevin DeYoung wrote, it takes a member of the family to save the family. That's, that's part of the gospel. It takes someone that's like us. Thank you, Willa. Thank you. Well, I'm just getting all kinds of pleasant notes and, and mints and everything tonight from our, from our younger members. It takes a member of the family to save the family. It takes someone who's come in the flesh, who's like us, to save us. Hebrews talks about this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
Christianity is the only religion that presents this, that presents a God that's come in the flesh, Jesus that's fully man. And so he's, he is empathet- empathetic to who we are. He is sympathetic to our struggles. He knows what we're going through. Sometimes it feels like in life that nobody knows what we're going through, that we're all alone, that, that nobody cares. And yet Jesus knows what it's like. All these experiences that we have, he had them. Shedding tears at the loss of a friend. Seeing that someone is hungry. Seeing that someone is lost or confused or drifting from their faith. I mean, Jesus looked out over Jerusalem and he wept over it. Being betrayed or misunderstood by friends, even by family members, Jesus understood that. Jesus went through that. We look to him in those times. We look to his strength. Because he's looking at us. He's emphasizing with, with us. If you, if you don't have that, if you don't have that empathetic God, that sympathetic God, that God that knows what it's like, you can, you can paint a picture of of God that's untrue, that doesn't match what the Bible teaches. You can paint a picture of a God that, um, that is distant, that is sort of untouchable, that's just up there. You know, he just kind of created everything and then started it all up. And I think that's really what, um, what I grew up with in my church. It didn't feel like God was active, or moving, or empathetic, or with us. And, you know, you might teach that from the Bible. The pastor might say that. But I think, uh, you know, Marshall McLuhan said this, the medium is the message. And you observe a lot more, especially when you're a kid. You observe a lot more by the way people act and the way that they make you feel than their words. So if the words don't match the message... We can be teaching our kids that God, you know, God is far off. God is distant. God is, you know, for old people. God, you just need to have God at the end of your life. Um, God is sort of untouchable. God is angry at you. We can teach, we can teach the younger people in the faith those things. And that's so far away from the good news of Jesus. That God has come in the flesh to take our sins away. That, that Jesus knows what it's like to live this life. And I'm determined to give our young people, our kids, a full experience of Jesus. That he's fully God. That he's powerful. That he can change people. He can change you. He can do things that no one else can do. He's fully God. And he's fully man. He knows what you're going through. You're not alone. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to lose people that he loves. He knows what it's like to grieve. One time a a mentor said to me when I was talking about, you know, God feels distant. God feels far away. Um, You know, a mentor said to me, picture God picturing you smiling. Picture God picturing you smiling. (laughs) 
And that's just a cool idea, that God would look at me and smile. And yet, because of Jesus and what he's done, that's what we have. God looks at you and he smiles because because you are rooted in Christ, because you're part of his family. About about 15 years ago, um, a, a person that I work with introduced me to this writer named Brennan Manning, and he wanted to be a Catholic priest. And he was a priest for a long time, but he had a disease called alcoholism. And because of that, he was eventually defrocked. He couldn't be a priest anymore. And yet, he didn't let that stop him from telling people about Jesus, telling them about his love. And a few years after reading uh, his, his books, he came to the Seattle area. This was in February of 2010, so almost exactly 10 years ago. And I had the opportunity to go on a retreat with him and hear him speak. And he was he was old. He was in his mid-80s. He, um, he gave all his lectures sitting down. And the Lord took him home a couple years after that. But I, um, I prayed and I went on this retreat. And I heard this wonderful message about a, a God that, that loves us. About a God that's not far away. About a God that's powerful and yet intimate and, and with us. And that, that retreat was very, very transformative for me in a lot of ways. I was wondering what to do with ministry. I was wondering if we should move to New York, all these things, and God gave me peace through that, through that time. But here's what Brennan Manning says. He says, I, I want neither a terrorist spirituality that keeps me in a perpetual state of fright, nor a sappy spirituality that portrays God as a benign teddy bear. So he doesn't want a God that just terrorizes people and, and fears people and you know, scares them into the kingdom. And yet he also doesn't want a teddy bear that can't do anything about evil and that, um, you know, that, that is weak. He says, I want a relationship with the Abba of Jesus, who is infinitely compassionate with my brokenness, and at the same time, an awesome, incomprehensible, and unwieldy mystery. He wants a relationship with the Abba of Jesus, the, the Daddy of Jesus, the Dad, the Father, the loving, intimate Father that, you know, like when Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for theirs is the kingdom of God. To know God like that, as a child who trusts their father, who depends on them, who, who has just a close relationship. Because that's, that's the idea that Jesus came to bring, this idea of, of an Abba, of a daddy that cares for us. And yet, so this Abba is compassionate toward us, infinitely compassionate, he says, with our brokenness, with our struggles, with our sin, with the things that we've drawn, drawn wrong, Grace just pours out again and again and again. God is so loving, his loving kindness. And yet, at the same time, 
At the same time, takes faith to believe this, right? At the same time, he is, he's a mystery. And we can't understand him completely because he's so awesome. We use that word a lot. But really, the only thing we should be using it about is God. Our God is an awesome God. He's awe-inspiring. He created all the beauty of this universe. And we'll never understand all of his ways because his ways are higher than our ways. And yet, he's loving. Jesus, 100% man, 100% God. Infinitely compassionate with our sin. And 100% God, awesome, other than us, powerful. Knows all about us. Knows everything we've ever done and ever will do and still loves us. That is the God that is worthy of worship. That's the one we cry out to. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your, for your power and your might and your ability to move mountains and change us. And yet your kindness your intimate love for us, the fact that you know every hair that's on our head, the fact that you know when we lie down and when we rise. You are familiar with all of our ways, and yet you, you love us, you are for us, you are behind us and ahead of us and over us. Lord Jesus, when we look at you, we get, we get the full picture of the Father. So show us that picture. Point us, point us to yourself. May we know you. May we love you. May we come to understand, even as we trust in the mystery. Holy Spirit, come to us again. And give us a believing heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.